Thank you. We're ready to roll. All right. Here we go. This is our podcast with Amber Copeland in three, two. Hi again, everybody. Welcome back to Title Health on Point. I'm Roger Fallabout, Director of Strategic Communications and your host for the program. On the show today is Amber Copeland. Amber is a clinician in our emergency department dealing in behavioral health. And on the program today, she and I are going to talk a little bit about behavioral health and about social work and how social work helps to break down barriers in a person's life. Amber, welcome to the show. Good to have you here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. This is your first time on the podcast. Yes. So please take a couple of moments and tell our viewers and our listeners something about you. Sure. Um, So thank you for the introduction. My name is Amber Copeland. I actually graduated from Salisbury University with my bachelor's in social work in 2013. Went and got my master's, graduated in 2014, also from Salisbury. And then uh, I, you know, I was young. I didn't have a family or children. And I said, why not go for a doctorate degree? So I started my journey in um, at Walden University, obtaining my doctorate degree in social work. I successfully completed that and graduated in 2021. Um, took me six years part time, but I did it. And um Of course, while going to school, I was employed at Title Health, and I maintained employment at um, several other local agencies. So I've been a social worker technically since 2013. So let me officially welcome you, Dr. Copeland. Thank you. Thank you very much. I did not know about that degree. That's outstanding. Oh, thank you. That is terrific work. Uh, As you and I both know, March is National Social Work Month. What is the significance of that to what you do and out in the community as well? Sure. Um, So there's a little running joke at home. My my husband doesn't think I deserve a whole month, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Sure. But, um, you know, and it's, it's, uh, I had to do a little research, to be quite honest with you, because I think it's, it's overlooked. Um, And from what I had gathered, apparently Ronald Reagan declared March as National Social Work Month to really help encourage public support for the social work profession, um, which I really appreciate. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's, wonderful and very much so necessary um, to really highlight all of the great work social workers do across a variety of, you know, different offices or or fields. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. So is there a theme this year? And if so, how does that tie into what you're doing? Sure. So the theme this year is breaking barriers, um, which I absolutely love. I did look at the previous themes um, over the last few years and not that they're less important, but um, I think this one really hits home, especially working, um, I work full time at the Lower Shore Clinic as well. And, um, you know, as social workers, we're trying to, um, you know, really kind of address the social determinants of health. So you talk about breaking barriers, that's all of those things that, you know, there's a, a disparity, you know, among, you know, certain populations. That's awesome. If we're going to break down barriers, though, we need to understand what those barriers are, sure. right? So sure. can you tell us what some of those barriers are that 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 people and patients that you encounter are mm-hmm. dealing with on a daily basis? Sure. Um, so I would say in general, it's anywhere from homelessness to um, the lack of insurance. It could be the fact that maybe they're illiterate and they don't know how to apply for insurance. Um, there's cultural and language barriers that really prevent people from getting insured and accessing the services they need. Transportation is huge, especially in this rural area. Um, So it's a really a variety of things. 
Now, when you encounter someone who has a significant number of those barriers, Mm -hmm. how do you go about breaking them down? What exactly do you do and what do you do for individuals who are desperately in need of the help that you as a social worker provide? Sure. Um, So I really like to start very basic, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, It's really hard for people to focus on long-term plans or, you know, scheduling appointments a month out if they are worried about where they're going to sleep tonight or where their next meal is going to come from. So I like to focus on you know, are they hungry? Are they safe? Do they have somewhere to go tonight? Do they feel protected? Do they have a support system? So really trying to focus on those things first and then build upon those to accomplish other larger goals. And regardless of of who you are, where you are in life or the challenges that you're facing, I think everybody has pride in themselves. Sure. Is it difficult at times for people to come to you and say, hey, Amber, I I need help and and I really need help. Yeah, absolutely. And I recognize that, you know, I recognize that, um, you know, what I want for people might not be what they want for themselves and they have the right to self-determination and make decisions. Whether I agree with those decisions is a different story. Um, But I also acknowledge that everyone's stage of change is different. So I could work with someone today who is just really not interested in any services or changing anything about their life. And then maybe in a month, three months, four months, we cross paths again and their stage of change or their thought is very different about what they think they need or what they're ready for. So I just try to be very open-minded and very friendly. That way when they are ready, they remember me, you know, she was really nice. We had a wonderful interaction. I think I can trust her. Yeah, that's terrific. I've heard a thing or two about this team called the ACT team, the Mm -hmm. ACT team. What exactly is that? Sure. So it stands for Assertive Community Treatment. Um, This is a multidisciplinary team that serves um, individuals with severe persistent uh, mental health issues. So this is the population that I see at the hospital who really have a hard time staying in the community. They're in and out of the ER, in and out of an inpatient unit, incarcerations, unnecessary legal issues, Most of them are homeless or transient, and because of their mental health symptoms, really have a difficult time engaging in, like, traditional outpatient services. So we have a prescriber, two nurses, two substance use counselors, two vocational specialists, a therapist, PRP worker, peer specialist, and a housing specialist. And as a team, we literally meet people where they are literally and figuratively in the community. So if we have someone who is living in the woods, um, we will go out to him. He needs his injection brought to him. He needs medication. He needs food. We're going to him because we acknowledge that he's probably not received the care he desperately needs because he has no transportation or he doesn't have the means to navigate the the resources in the community. So this is the population we serve and, and really seek out because they don't have anyone otherwise. Something a little different, but equally important in my opinion, is this new crisis center that Title Health opened up not mm-hmm. that long ago, mm-hmm. uh, just across uh, Business Route 13 sure. from, from the hospital. How involved are you in that, and how important is having that service to the, to the segment of the population that you serve? Sure. Um, so I think it's been a blessing to the community, even from an ED standpoint, when we're discharging people and trying to give them appropriate follow-up care. Um, you know, everyone's very 
overworked or overbooked. And it's, it's not very, um, it's kind of disheartening when you have to discharge someone who desperately needs help and they can't see a therapist for a month or they can't see a doctor for three months. Um, so the crisis center has really been an amazing resource to utilize so people can get the services they need quickly, um, and kind of act as a bridge until they make it to their next journey. How closely does the ACT team work with behavioral health services at Title Health? Sure. So it's um, it's funny you say that because I just got a call yesterday from a staff member and they said, hey, listen, I've got this gentleman. He's shown up. He needs A, B, and C. I, I don't know what to do. Can you guys help him? Absolutely send him my way. And we actually linked up yesterday to help connect him to all of the services he desperately needs, which was one of the reasons he kept using the crisis center Um, you know, for support or try Mm -hmm. to navigate what was available to him. So, and I think it's a two-way street. You know, there's been times where I have to call and try to utilize them as well. Um, So I think we have a really great, you know, start of a relationship that's going to be very helpful to the community. I would think on the ACT team, it's, it's difficult and it's probably very emotional because you're going out and you're seeing people in very desperate situations. You mentioned potentially even out in the woods. Yes. Living, living, away from from society mm-hmm. uh, and trying to, to, to make it through. How, those are, I would think, different barriers somewhat than you encounter with others that you see. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you break down those barriers? I mean, how do you even go about starting to get an individual who's in a situation like that the help that they need? Sure. Um, well, with the ACT team, we provide transportation. We all have company vehicles to ensure that members get to where they need to get, whether that's appointments for housing, um, they need to get to social security to even apply for benefits. Like I said, transportation is a huge piece of it, regardless of whether they're homeless or not. And that's regardless of whether it's someone I encounter with the ACT team or someone from the ER. Um, you know, I think that's a big reason people are not adherent with treatment, whether it's their physical care or their mental health care, is really transportation. Um, public transportation in this area is limited. Um, so I would say that that is something that's very helpful and we can help transport people. And then, uh, like I said, just kind of starting off very small and meeting people where they are, even if it's we're going out every other day to make sure they have a meal, you know, and building that rapport. And then inevitably, um, usually, they agree to do other tasks with us, you know? Um, so it, it, it is tough. And, you know, talking about medication or people agreeing to medication can be tough too. Um, but I have found that if we start off very slow and build trust and rapport with them, they eventually, you know, um, kind of tend to take our advice or our suggestions or medical feedback, if you will, you know, when we're trying to assist them with larger goals. Back to a previous question that we discussed earlier when you get in a situation like that, you're not necessarily looking to change that person's life if they don't want to change their mm-hmm. life. If they're happy where they are, as you said, they, they may in a month feel differently sure. about with the situation that they're in and the environment that they're in. Um, but your job at that time, I would think then, is just to make sure that what they need to survive, what they need to remain healthy, that that those are met. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, we practice a harm reduction model. So if I have someone that's actively using substances, but really not ready to address it, you know, do they have clean needles or, you know, if we can even decrease their, their alcohol use from 12 to 10 beers a day, like that's a success. Mm -hmm. So we don't, you know, we don't try to change any, anyone's um, lifestyle, until they're ready. And like you said, you know, sometimes just kind of maintaining their health and safety is all we can do. And it's still very beneficial. I would think 
working in the emergency department, I mean, that's a challenge in itself. Mm -hmm. You know what goes on in the emergency department. You never know what's coming through the back door. What is it like to, to handle e to handle services, behavioral health services in the emergency department where, where again, you don't know what's coming through the back door mm-hmm. each night that you're working in the sure, ED. Sure, sure. Um, so it's, it's, it can be very fast paced. Um, there's a lot of education that goes on, whether it's with the patient themselves, their families are coming in very desperate because of course they want to fix their loved one, right? Or make their loved one agree to services. So it's a lot of education, um, it's a lot of helping connect to resources. Um, I, I think it's uh, it's it's kind of humbling because, you know, mental health doesn't discriminate. So I try to treat every patient that walks through the door as my brother or my mom. You know, what would I want for my loved one? Um, because, like I said, it, it's very humbling to, to realize, like, mental health does not discriminate. And everyone needs help at some point. Humbling is a great way to describe it. And I'm glad to hear you say what you yeah. say about treating someone as though they are your most beloved relative when they come through the door. Mm-hmm. Two-part question for sure. you here. Um, most challenging part of your job mm-hmm. and then most satisfying part of your job. Hmm. So you mean challenging in general yeah, or from cha- the ER? Yeah, challenging in general. I sure. mean, whether it's in the ER or whether it's out in the community, whatever you're doing. Yeah. So I think my biggest struggle would be... Um, respecting patients' right to Mm -hmm. self-determination. Like I said, recognizing that what I want for them is not what they want for themselves. So, you know, upon discharge, if I'm trying to help connect them to a shelter because I know this gentleman is elderly and frail and really is not, he doesn't belong in the streets, but he's refusing to go to a shelter because he doesn't, he doesn't like the rules. He doesn't like the structure. I think that's the biggest challenge is it's heartbreaking, you know, because it's hard not to go home at night and think about the elderly man who's going to be in the streets, who's going to be, you know, who has to endure the weather, who's probably not going to have anyone bat an eye and be kind to him. Where is he going to eat? So those things are really hard to just kind of accept that those are the decisions they're making based off of kind of what they want. Absolutely. Most satisfying part of what you do. Most satisfying will be the opposite end of the spectrum. You know, when everything aligns and, um, you know, multiple agencies work together. Like, I can't tell you how many times um, we've picked people up from Title or I have called the ACT team while working at Title. And just that coordination um, and to see people go from homelessness to housing or, um, as small as obtaining a primary care physician and they've been non-adherent for years, like those small wins are just amazing. Um, so it's really the little things. Mental health does not discriminate. I, again, I love the way that you said that. And with that in mind, knowing that mental health is not just the guy living under the bridge. Mental health is just not the guy living in the woods. Mental health is not the guy just shuffling down the street that you may encounter or potentially with a sign by the side of the road asking for help. Mental health is you. Mental health is me. Mental health could be anybody Mm -hmm. watching or listening to this program. So let me ask you to get you out of here on this question. If somebody has been watching or listening to us and have has come to the determination that, hey, look, I really need some help. Where should they turn first? I mean, I think if they can reach out to a loved one or someone that they trust, 
um, that that's a good first step because it's always nice having someone in your corner. Um, and then I feel pretty confident that that person can help them navigate whether it is title health and you need to walk into the ER and just get connected or the crisis center, the lower shore clinic. I will say that, you know, despite this being a rural area, you know, the, it is saturated with agencies that want to help. And it doesn't mean, you know, just because I can't schedule you for a month or so that they still can't help connect you to resources that can be valuable right now. Um, so I just encourage people to reach out to anyone um, that they trust to kind of help get connected and get the ball started. That's a great first step. And Amber, a great first step is having you on this program too. So thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having I, me. I know that we have only scratched the surface on this and I hope that you'll come back and join us again and we'll have another opportunity to speak further about social work, behavioral health, and how the two of those are so closely intertwined. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. And thank you so much for watching or listening to our program today. As I mentioned to you, as we close out Title Health on Point, every time if you have a great story and we've received a number of really good ideas from you out there in the community, please give me a call at 410-543-7142. That'll get you directly into my office. Or you can email me at roger.fallabout at titlehealth.org. For Amber, I am Roger. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you again on the next episode of Title Health on Point.